And as we continue on in our study of life on mission, we've been looking at what the Lord has called us to do. We've been asking two questions, really. The first question is, what is my life mission? What is the life mission that God has given to me as an individual? And the second question comes out of that, and that really is, am I on mission? God has a purpose for each one of us. And are we about that purpose? Now, of course, in order to serve God, you first have to know him, don't you? You can't serve him if you don't know him, and we've been talking about that as well. But as we look at the series, as we've been going through it, the first thing that we've looked at really was that when we come to know Christ, if we know him, then we have our story of faith that we can share, and he sends us out as his ambassadors, as his witnesses. And he says that he will give us the power to do that. And that was the memory verse that we had for that first week, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What is it that we're bearing witness to? That we have met Christ, that we know him, that we have encountered him ourselves by faith. And as those who are ambassadors for Christ, those who represent him, the next step of our mission really is to take that message and to connect with other people so that we can share that good news. And as we looked into this connecting with other people, we realized that Jesus, as he walked amongst us, he saw people that others didn't see. Oh, they visibly saw them, but they ignored them. They treated them with contempt. And Jesus, in particular, came under criticism and condemnation for engaging with people that good people wouldn't touch. And he ministered to them. So he saw people that other people didn't see, and he connected with them, and he ministered to them. And that was the next step of the mission that we saw, and that is serving the people that we see, looking for opportunities to share by serving. Even if it's just helping a neighbor take his garbage can down to the street or baking some cookies and going next door and introducing yourself to a neighbor who's lived there for 20 years, but you've never learned their first name. Taking the time just to go and connect with people that ordinarily you have been ignoring or forgotten about, or they seem invisible because your lives just don't cross paths. Taking time and asking God to help you to see the people he wants you to connect with. It's amazing if you start out by asking God in the morning, Lord, lead me to someone that I might encourage or bless, or perhaps even if you would allow me to share my story with, and then see what God does, who God brings into your life. And that's the part of sharing your faith story when asked. It's not as though you're going out and you're pigeonholing people. But as you live your lives faithfully for the Lord, 
people should begin to ask you what's different in your life. And that should give you the opportunity to share your faith. Today we want to talk a little bit about growing in Christ. What it means to grow in our faith. Now, of course, if you're going to grow in your faith, it implies that you already have a faith. And I'd like you to think a bit about this particular passage. It's in the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 2. And this will be your not forgetting verse for this week. All right? And it goes like this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into what? A new person. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and perfect and pleasing, or pleasing and perfect, if I were to say it correctly. What we have is a life presently where you are inundated with messages on the television, in the print media, in your places of work, in your schools, no matter where you go, you are surrounded with the theology and the philosophy of this age. And it's all about me. Well, maybe not me, but you, you get the idea. It's all about self-interest. It's all about looking out for number one. What God is saying is that we need to learn a new way of thinking, not of allowing everyone else to manipulate us and control us and direct us, but allowing God himself to direct our thinking and to renew the way we think. This word, let God transform you, that's an amazing word in the original language. It's the word metamorphos. You've probably heard that or learned about it when you were in high school. Metamorphosis, it means to transform. We have that wonderful picture of a caterpillar climbing on a branch somewhere, and at some point it seems to stop, and it turns into what looks like a shriveled leaf, and you think it's dead. And some people have, have tried to take a peek inside and have a look, and it just looks like a gooey mess. But if you wait and you're patient, that shriveled leaf called a cocoon begins to shake and split. And strangely enough, out of it comes either a beautiful moth or a butterfly. It starts out as a caterpillar and becomes this beautiful creature. That's what we call metamorphosis. That's what this word is. Let God metamorphose you. Let God transform you. Let God take you from where you are and transform you into who he wants you to be. As I read in the Gospels, when Peter first met Jesus, Jesus said to him, you are Peter, but you will be called Cephas. You are one thing, but you will become something else. And as you read about Peter's life through the Gospels, you see how as he encounters Jesus, he's constantly being challenged in the way he thinks and the way he responds, and his faith and his understanding of who Jesus is slowly changes. At the end of the Gospels, we see him even denying Christ. And then meeting the resurrected Christ 
and being recommissioned to serve. And Peter becomes this new person. We're told that after the resurrection of Christ, the disciples were all gathered together. There were about 120 of them in an upper room. And they were waiting and they were praying as Jesus had commanded them to. And they're in this upper room and they're praying and we're told that there was this sound like a mighty wind and it looked as if there were flames of fire that came upon them. And they began to speak in other languages and they, they flowed out of that room into the community and they began proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were witnessing to what they had seen and what they had experienced. And the people who were watching on were, were dumbfounded because they were from all parts of the, the, the Mediterranean region, speaking all kinds of languages, but they all heard and understood what was being said to them. Some of them listening to this said, oh, these guys, they're all just drunk. They're full of new wine. But the apostles and others said, well, how could they be? It's too early in the day for that. And besides, drunk people don't end up speaking other languages. At least if it sounds like another language, it wouldn't have been intelligible. But we're understanding. And these men are proclaiming the excellencies of God. Peter was transformed. Each of the disciples who followed Christ were transformed. One of the great evidences for the resurrection of Christ is the fact that these individuals who come from different areas and different regions and who had different lifestyles and different understandings, they were all united in this one thing. They said that Jesus Christ did die on that cross. They saw him die. They know that he was buried. And they know where he was buried. And they know that the tomb was empty. And they saw him resurrected from the dead. And in fact, they went to their graves. They went to a martyr's death proclaiming, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. If I'm going to believe someone's witness about a topic, I want to know that they really believe it and they have evidence for it. And the evidence that we can present for the resurrection of Christ is the changed lives of the men who followed Christ. You have people like the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man who was out looking for Christians so that he could put them to death, arrest them, bring them back, put them in prison. Just like James was arrested and he was killed. The first to die a martyr's death. And Paul, who was called Saul at the time, was there when Stephen was arrested. He was holding everybody's cloaks, looking on, saying, this is great, we've got to get more of these believers in Jesus, and we've got to get rid of them. And he stood there while Stephen was being stoned. And it seems as though he was untouched by Stephen who as he died said, Lord, do not hold this to their account. How do people do this for something that is a lie? They don't. They don't. Well, that day when the apostles experienced the gift that Jesus spoke of, the gift of the Holy Spirit came upon that group of about 120 who were gathered and they went out 
of that room and they're proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. And Peter began to explain to the people what had gone on. He explained to them that this was a manifestation of the gift that Jesus said he would send. He would send his Holy Spirit. And they were now experiencing the fullness of God's Holy Spirit in their life. And he began to explain to them and proclaim to them that Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried, and in fact, they are the community of people who put him to death. So they knew this. This was their experience. When Peter stood up and said Jesus was crucified, they said, yeah, we called out, crucify him. We were there. We were among them. We wanted him dead. We believed that he needed to die because we believed that he had sinned against God. And as Peter said, this one that you have crucified is God's holy one. The Messiah, the one prophesied in Scripture, as you read in Isaiah 53 and as you read in the Psalms and as you read back in the Old Testament in the, in the, 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 the books of, of Moses, the five books of Moses, and as you read of all the different prophecies, this Jesus is the one who was prophesied. And you have put him to death, your Messiah. And as the people were listening to this, they were saying, what, what, what can we do? Because they were also saying this Jesus has been confirmed as the Messiah because God has raised him from the dead. We have seen him. And now he is risen to the right hand of the Father on high. And being stricken in their hearts, realizing the full weight of what they had done, they cried out, what should we do? Now, folks, I need to tell you this. It was not just the people in Jerusalem at that time who were guilty of putting Christ to death. It was you and I. We share that guilt. We share that guilt because when Christ went to the cross, he did it not just because they cried out, crucify him, because he could at any time have called upon legions of angels and they would have delivered him. He went to the cross because that was the will of the Father. That was his mission on earth, if you will. He went to the cross to carry the sins of each of us so that it was my sin. If I had been there, I likely would have been one of those calling out, crucify him. We all like to think that, no, we'd have been one of the faithful disciples, but those faithful disciples all abandoned him on the night that he was betrayed, didn't they? So it doesn't do much good me saying I'd have been a faithful disciple because that would mean that I would have run away and abandoned Jesus on the very night that he was arrested and tried, and perhaps I'd have been another Peter. And when someone said, you were with him, weren't you? And I would said, well, no, no, no I, I don't know the man. And some of us do that even now. Are you a Christian? Well, you, yeah, I go to that church, but you know, I, you know the story, don't you? We are all guilty. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. 
So let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah, or Christ, if you use the Greek term, Messiah being the Hebrew term. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? If you find in your heart that you're calling out that same thing, I have good news for you. And it's the same good news that Peter gave. And he said, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Those seven English words really are represented by one Greek word, metanoeo. You all knew that, of course, but I just threw that in there because that sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> but the reality is repentance means to agree with God about what he has said and what he has done. Yes, I repent. I agree with you, Lord, that Jesus is your Messiah. I agree that I have sinned. I agree that my sin should be punished. And I agree with you that Jesus carried the weight of that punishment. Repenting of my sins and turning to God it's one thing to say, yeah, I feel bad about that. And very often as kids, when we were caught doing something wrong, did you eat the cookies? No. What, is that a crumb I see on your face? No. I think it is. And finally, we agree. But that doesn't mean I'm sorry I ate it. <laughs> God is saying, when we repent, I agree with God, and I don't deny it. But I agree with him, and I say, Lord, you are right. And I'm sorry. What can I do? And he says... Turn to me in faith. Believe in my Son. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. We read in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism was a, a public way of demonstrating that we were identifying with Christ. At that time, there were many kinds of washings and, and baptisms that the Jews would undertake. There was the baptism of John when he was calling people out to repent and be baptized and to demonstrate that they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. This was a baptism in the name of Jesus to say, I identify with Jesus. And we practice baptism by immersion because it is a wonderful picture of how we die with Christ and we go down under the water. And we are buried with him and we go under the water. And then we are raised to new life. We're brought up out of the water. So it's a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection in Christ because he did it for me. I identify with him. And God sees me in Jesus. 
So when he looks at me in my sin, he doesn't see me in my sin. He sees his own son. And he sees that sin has been paid for. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he said to those gathered around. Believe in God, repent of your sin, and God will give you the same gift that he has given to us. In the book of Romans, it's put this way. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, there's that resurrection from the dead again. Take out the cross, take out the resurrection of Christ, and there is no Christianity. Make no mistake. You are not a Christian because you go to church. You are not a Christian because you are baptized. You are not a Christian because you're trying to live a good life. You are only a Christian if you have put your faith in Jesus. You believe in his death, his burial, his resurrection for you. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Baptism is a wonderful way to openly declare your faith. It doesn't save you, but it certainly openly declares your faith. This Easter we are having a baptism. And if God is moving you, that it is time for you also to openly declare your faith and to identify with Jesus, I invite you to come and see me and speak to me. We would love to include you with those who would be baptized. To declare Jesus, especially at Easter, what a wonderful privilege. This promise is to you, to your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. If God is speaking to your heart, respond. If you're just being persuaded by me, forget it. It is an act of God. And you want God to be at work in your life. You want God to change your life. It is God who will transform you. Not me, not the church, but God himself. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. And this actually is a verse that we have to memorize in seminary so that when we get up and preach, we can say that, uh, you know, this is biblical. I can go on for a long time. <laughs> and it's about that point that one of you remind me of what happened to the fellow sitting in the window when Paul preached. And he fell out of the window. And you say, oh, it's all right. You can preach as long as you like, as long as you can pick someone up off the ground who's fallen down dead and raise them up again. Because I'll stick around to see that. <laughs> Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We began looking in Romans that this world wants to conform you to its mold. God wants to conform you to the image of his son. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. Those who believed were baptized and added to the church that day. They became members of this new faith community. 
of believers, of disciples of Christ. About 3,000 in all, we're told, believed in Jesus. What a day that would be. Wouldn't that be exciting? Could we aim for 3,000 for Easter morning? <laughs> you come and join us. <laughs> that would be wonderful. You come to faith. And I said today was about growing. But I can't tell you how to grow unless you know how to become a child of God. And that's what I've been spending most of my time doing. Telling you how you became a child of God. I gave you a sheet last week and asked you to reflect back on how you became a Christian. If you can't fill out that sheet, then you should ask yourself, am I a Christian? I'm also going to be asking you to have those sheets filled out because Easter Sunday, I'm going to be asking you to share with me some of what you've written on those sheets. Perhaps it's a verse of scripture that God has blessed you. Perhaps it's a, a brief statement of how you came to faith or a brief statement of what God has done in your life since you came to faith in Christ. But I'm going to ask you to be willing to share a little bit of something because we'll be sharing also communion again and there'll be an opportunity for you to give glory to God. How do I grow as a Christian? It begins, as the Apostle says, all the believers devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. The key word here is they were devoted. They were committed. We live in a day when nobody wants to commit to anything. There was a time when committed Christians attended church on an average 12 times a month. Today it seems that committed Christians attend church on an average of three times a month. Has there been a change in our commitment in the way we use our time? They devoted themselves. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's reading God's word. That's reading God's word. Meditating on it. Digesting it. Thinking about it. And to the fellowship. And that fellowship is an engagement with other believers in an intimate way that reflects the sharing of faith and concern and praying, praying for one another, becoming involved in each other's lives, doing life together, small groups, if you will, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper. And they gathered, and they, they were constantly exercising hospitality and to prayer. These were people who, when they prayed, God listened. And they gathered together. And all of these things they did together, not in isolation as so many people try to do today. If you want to grow, start with your commitment. What is the level of your commitment to Christ? What time are you spending in the Word of God? How closely are you involved with other Christians? Do you take time to exercise hospitality? Do you participate in the Lord's table? Do you spend time in prayer? If you do these things, you will grow in your faith. 
And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all of the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They said, well, they sold their property and their possessions and they shared money with those in need. I don't count these things as being my own, but if someone else has need, I will share with them. And the final area, if you want to continue to grow, is in the area of worship. They worship together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Worship is a key part of spiritual growth. Don't try to be an orphan Christian, that is, a believer who sits by themselves, or to be that log that's taken out of the fire and set on the hearth and growing cold. God has designed his body, the church, in such a way that we must serve and minister together and build each other up. And then we see the great miracle, which is, and God added to their number, their fellowship, how often? Daily. 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 And daily you have an opportunity to be a witness for Christ. And daily you have an opportunity to grow in your faith. Can we pray that God would enable people to understand his word and come to faith daily? Can we do that as a church? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect.